I wanted to mm-hmm. fix everything, even if it was not my job. You know, the, the, so I was the director of product. I was not the CEO. Uh, so not every problem in the company, you know, from HR to people, all of those things should have been my problem. Hello and welcome to the Venture Vibe podcast. I'm your host, Francesca. The Venture Vibe podcast is for those wanting to explore the world of entrepreneurship one venture after another. Whether you're a new entrepreneur, working on a side hustle, or just simply want to learn more, this podcast is for you. So I was so impressed the second I read your story. But before we dive deep, could you tell me a little bit more just about yourself? Yes, absolutely. Um, So I am at present, I'm living in Vancouver um, in Canada. And I was born in India um, and went to the States to do my master's. I've had a pretty traditional or a typical uh, kind of an educational background. Um, So computer science, engineering, undergrad, grad, MBA, uh, professional and personal life have not been a very stereotypical or standard. And that's where all of my adventures have happened. Um, I've been in tech and product now for about 20 years. Um, started as a product manager before product management was mainstream from a career standpoint um, and progressed in my career, um, was a director of product, uh, promoted to director of growth. And then in my last corporate role, I was also promoted as the president of the company, taking over from the founder and CEO. And yeah, and in 2019, I formally kind of made my foray into entrepreneurship world and uh, started Spark to Substance. Um, and last year, I started PM Dojo. So two ventures at present. I'm also a mom to a six and a half year old and a mom to a one and a half year old Labradoodle dog. Aww, oh, that's <laughs> amazing. Yeah, well, it sounds like you are coming to us with so much experience in both the co- corporate world before starting your entrepreneurial ventures. So I'm really excited to learn more about those later on. I know that you lived in the Bay Area and mm-hmm. we all know that as the southern end of the Bay Area is Silicon Valley. I'd love mm-hmm. to know about what your experience here was and what led you to eventually leave. Um, it, it is it is definitely a dream. Um, it, 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 you know, I used to treat uh, Silicon Valley as like the Mecca, if, if, if I can kind of use that word to describe, yes. it was this holy pilgrimage, right, for anyone from a tech background, I mean, uh, growing up, uh, I was a computer geek, I still am, um, yes. you know, any stories, right, of any founder or any company that was doing well or any kind of entrepreneurship, a startup, all the stories were coming from there. So it, it is a dream, no doubt. Uh, what led me? So I always wanted to work there, right? Like that, I think, and I'm no different than a lot of people. Um, it wasn't the money, but it was just the kind of thinking. And it was just the land of opportunities, right? Um, so I wanted to, uh, but obviously didn't know. Uh, that was one of the big reasons why I decided to pursue my master's in the US in the first place. But, you know, as, as life would have it, after, after my grad school, I decided, um, or not, not, it was not a decision per se. I think the, the role or the opportunity that opened up for me was in Vancouver in a five-person startup. So that's where I started. Now, I always dreamt of, and I kept on applying to roles there. Nothing would happen because you, of course, run into challenges of visa, sponsorship, 
you know, the immigration kind of challenges of the US, they're kind of right. different. Yes. Um, but over the years, as I was starting to gain more experience, my dream of uh, working in Silicon Valley did not die, just kept on becoming stronger. But as I started having a few years of experience, uh, my connections and my network in the Valley started increasing. That was one thing that happened. Um, it wasn't anything deliberate, but from a very early point in my career, even though I'm an introvert, a very, very big introvert, yes. I kind of understood or was told numerous times by the different mentors I've had in my life that the road, the unwritten rule in professional life success is networking. <laughs> um, I didn't know how to do it, uh, but that's kind of, I think we can talk about it as well. But for me, yeah. it was really about understanding the power of relationship, not just having a network. And, and this is before LinkedIn, right? So the, yes, <laughs> yes. I didn't have it. I mean, like this is like close to 19, 18, 19, 20 years ago. But anyway, um, close to about when I was working in HSBC, because it was such a large organization, um, there were opportunities to move internationally and work within this large organization. And I was working in their innovation side, not the typical banking transaction. And so I did work with a lot of teams in the US and I was like, maybe I can kind of move into the US with a bank and perhaps that might lead me. But of course, banking and the true uh, technical entrepreneurship innovation, they're very, very different, right? But, yes. uh, but, but I caught my first bug of international work and international travel, I think, while I was working at HSBC, because I often would travel quite a bit. Okay. And I would work with international customers, and my teams were in all these different countries. And I did apply for a role in Greece before all of the troubles started in Greece. And so I was quite disheartened. Um, I continued, I continued that, that thirst for actually getting that international experience. Um, and then, you know, Bermuda thing happened with HSBC. And so we packed up and we sh you know, shipped everything and we went to Bermuda for a few years for work, uh, which wasn't bad. And I think, you know, if I, if I were to reflect back, the whole Silicon Valley dream was still there. And this time it was, it, it was also shared by my husband. So we share a very, very similar background professionally. We were classmates in Indian engineering and we kind of kept on kind of thinking about it. And around the, around the time when I was working in HSBC, I was also applying to this one particular company in the Valley, uh, Atlassian for close to about two years for different roles, still within my kind of domain, but I kept on getting rejected. Uh, I applied to those other fan companies as well, but this was this particular Atlassian company that I really, really liked, both from a people, culture, product, and all of this. And just as we were packing our bags um, in, in Bermuda to return back to Vancouver, because our term, you know, that international work thing was over, right. Um, I received a note about an interview with Atlassian after being rejected for two years. Oh, and wow. so the process started and, uh, and, and yeah, and, you know, things started moving along and it was, why not? Around the same time, my husband received an email. I still remember we were in India for our vacation, meeting our family. And just before we were, uh, you know, leaving India to come back home, uh, my husband opened up his email and found, uh, you know, an email from someone in the Bay Area for an opportunity for him. 
So it, we both started pursuing that opportunity and luckily, fortunately, stars aligned and we both ended up getting the opportunity, Bay Area and different companies, me with Atlassian and my husband with a different company. And so we moved. Um, it was amazing. It was absolutely amazing. There is this energy um, and a lot of the things that we hear, you know, like it's, it's uh, I think there were a lot of stories that I used to hear back then that you have to work the whole time, you know, you kind of do your laundry in the office, you sleep in the office. <laughs> I, I think I think I would say it depends uh, which company. I mean, Atlassian was is very, very different. It's actually an Australian company that also has a presence in the States, um, big on culture. I think I, I, I was fortunate that I did not fall into that uh, sweatshirt kind of a working <laughs> style uh, environment, if there right. is anything yes. like that in the Valley. Uh, but no, I absolutely loved it. I mean, just the, the you know, the, the word ecosystem that, that we hear a lot in Vancouver or in Canada takes a whole different meaning. People are so much giving. I'm not saying that that doesn't happen in Canada. I'm not, not at all kind of trying to say that. But, but there is, I think, culturally Canadians, Americans, right? We are kind of, I think, more risk averse. Right. Yes, um, I think in the US, you know, we're more, I think, risk kind of open to taking risks. So I think yeah. those kind of conversations about why not? Let's just try. Like, what's the worst thing that can happen? Let's just try this experiment. I mean, it was just phenomenal for a few years to to just be exposed to that energy and the way of working and the way of thinking. Uh, yeah, I, I, I don't think we would have ever left. We did miss walking <laughs> right right <laughs> I think the lifestyle we did miss uh, because in Vancouver we, we we've never owned a car we just walk everywhere uh, it's a very walkable city yes um, but San Francisco is not you know even to go from one neighborhood to the other we were like just transported straight into a highway right yes uh, within just a couple of minutes um <laughs> uh, but no I mean it was just amazing amazing uh you know something that I say that if you if someone is interested in technology or entrepreneurship even if it is to just study there um or even if it is to go and if you do get an opportunity to work or be there for some time try out something just kind of sit down and and just kind of meet some people there it it, it inspires it definitely inspired me and my husband let's just say that um so yeah I mean we were there for a few years and then our son was born there um and then in 2016 we formally made the decision to move back home in Vancouver okay amazing well I love kind of hearing your personal insight on Silicon Valley because obviously if anyone who's wants to be in tech or entrepreneurship and trying to find your people that's where you're going to do it just hearing you speak about the energy and the ecosystem you're going to have so much personal and professional growth being in that it, environment it is. I mean ab absolutely I mean you know if there's this one thing tangibly that I can maybe share I'll give an example um, I had I had to actually do a little bit of a market sizing exercise for one of the products that I was managing. Like I had to figure out okay. and come up with, well, what is what is the size of the market for this particular opportunity? I'd never done something like that. Like I'd studied about it, but you know, to formally kind of do it and make sure that you know I was doing it accurately enough so that yes. I could come up with some solid recommendations. 
was a daunting task, right? I think to study something and do it, it's very, very different. And, you know, I kind of was researching tons and I just kind of felt like I didn't have everything. Like I just had so many questions. I actually worked with another fellow PM from a different company who actually worked in a similar area like us and, you know, so it could be, could be considered a competitor, but we actually worked together on understanding this, how do you size a market and what are some of the variables you need to think about? We didn't show all of our numbers, but the right. ability to just kind of get that collective brain uh, power, right? And harness yeah. that and, and, and kind of help and grow. I think that is just amazing. Um, and, and I think I just lucked out by, by actually working in a company like Atlassian. Such down-to-earth people. So, yes. 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 Okay, well, thank you so much for that example. That was great. Um, So you kind of mentioned that you moved around, and I believe you told me that you lived in six different countries um, kind of throughout your life. I'd kind of love to connect that the the experience of traveling and living in different countries around the world to what you were talking about earlier with networking and Mm. the power of relationships because Mm. obviously when you have this like worldwide network of people how how do you find that you're able to still sort of harness and continue to grow these relationships even though you may be on other sides of the world in a professional sense oh I think I, I think I would like to think that I've become a little bit better at harnessing relationships now than what um, compared to even even a few years ago, right? Um, I think again, it was my introvertedness that was coming uh, because that is just not me feeling comfortable, I think, to, uh, I think being the first person putting my hand out and saying, hey, you know, I, I didn't know a lot of those things Right. Um, But I would say, you know, deep, like reflecting back, I think this is more like a reflection of how I see it has worked. And over my professional career, a lot of the things that happened as I've built these connections or these relations, and some of them have worked and some of them haven't, uh, many of them haven't. Um, I think reflecting back, there was something that I think has remained the constant, at least in my life. And that is at a fundamental level, like I try not to think of things in a complex convoluted level, like I try to just break it down into very simple human things. We are all people at the end of the day. And at the end of the day, um, any connection or relationship between people is a give and take, just like my relationship with my parents or my relationship with my spouse, or my relationship with my friend, right? It's a, right. it's a give and take. Yeah, if I am going to be constantly taking, it is not going to work. That relationship will just not work. Um, I've become way more deliberate uh, as I think about it now, uh, you know, in my, in my point, this point of my life. Right. But back then, even though I didn't understand the intricacies of this dynamic, I think this was something that um, I, I don't know. I, I've never been just like a taker. I've, I've been a lot of like a giver, um, probably, yeah. probably, you know, my 10 years of convent education uh, <laughs> with all the nuns, with moral science and everything. I don't know yes. if that has anything to play, <laughs> but we had to learn how to give before we ask. That, that, is, that is what I learned from, you know, nursery or preschool uh, till right. my grade 10 uh, from all of our Irish nuns back in school. 
Um, so I think that's how I've kind of treated every single relationship. And it is, it is that the world is shrinking. The world is very small. Mm-hmm. That is also something that I liked to believe in. Um, and, and I've just kind of kept in touch with a lot of my connections where it has worked. So whether it is things like, um, uh, you know, at the end of the de- end of the year, just sending a simple kind of a genuine email, just wishing them and their family a happy new year or Christmas, just a simple gesture like this, mm-hmm. um, or uh, or sending them, you know, if I've gone to them, you know, for some help um, after a few months, if I've tried something, did work, didn't work, I would actually just communicate it back to them, um, just kind of like, you know, what exactly is going on in my life. But I've also always maintained how can I help? Right. And that has always been a thing that I've done throughout my, throughout, I think I would like to think throughout my professional career that has helped me keep those relationships. Um, But as I said, many of them haven't worked. Um, So I I think to answer your question, whether it was six countries or whether it was two countries, at the end of the day, I kind of consider people to be same. Yes, our culture and the country where we live, those norms do or might influence how we think and how we work. But at at, at at the core, as humans, if we have to have a relationship, it is completely built on a give and take dynamic right and and I think I'd like to think of it like that and again thanks to my convent education we I I was exposed to this concept of a mentor in the form of a buddy in school so even in grade two even in grade three we had these buddies who were a little bit senior to us like in higher grades but they would be you know our our folks each one, each one of us would actually get one assigned um, where we could actually reach out to them if we wanted a different view on how to navigate a particular situation, right? Right. So I think that mentor concept was something that I was comfortable with. And I started seeking mentors very, very early, like even in my first role, barely out of university, I actually wanted to seek out a mentor. Now, how I did it, a lot of times that didn't work, a few times it worked. But one thing that I have kind of, I think, consistently used with any of these relationships, irrespective of, you know, which part of the country or the world is asking. I think if I, 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 I kind of like, okay, if I don't ask, I'm not going to get because I'm the one who needs it, right? Yes, the hope is that I might be able to also help them in some yes. shape or form. But if I don't ask, then I'm not going to get it. So I need to be the first one to actually ask and find what kind of mentors um, I would need. Right, right. And that was something, a strategy that I used to kind of help. Yes, definitely. I think mentors are are huge and can be invaluable to to certain people in a professional world. For someone who maybe is right now just entering the professional world Mm -hmm. is just finished university and looking for new opportunities and wanting to connect with mentors that sort of resonate with their mission or with their goals. What do you recommend in terms of reaching out to people? Because obviously now Mm -hmm. our, our world's online and I I feel that a lot of people will connect through LinkedIn, yeah. but that can only, only take you so far. In terms yeah. of beginning to build that relationship, if it is someone they've not yet met in real life or maybe yeah. don't have a third-party connection to, what do you recommend they they sort of execute on in terms of to build that <laughs> relation, relationship? Some people are very open to mentoring. 
And you, you might even find that they actually kind of say, hey, I'm open to mentoring. I'm opening up my schedule. I've done that from time to time when I've kind of had a little bit of a so-called lull period. <laughs> I've kind of opened up my calendar and said, I'm happy to have a chat and kind of connect, yeah. right? Yeah. So I think looking and searching for those people, like even if they can't mentor you, but if you are open to having a conversation and finding out if they may be able to connect you with someone, mm-hmm. who is a mentor, Right. Uh, I think for me, a lot of times I was naive enough to believe that a mentor is someone who is in a particular role that I am aspiring to be in. Um, They need to have these certain backgrounds and and that relationship, that mentorship relationship needs to be very, very formally structured. And I need to meet with them on a weekly or a bi-weekly basis. And we need to have an agenda and we need to kind of discuss. And it's very, very structured. I believe that in a very naive fashion. Right. And for me, I can tell you that my relationship with those mentors where these relationships have been less transactional and less formal have actually been more successful because, and I've thought about this a lot. For me, it's all about that serendipitous moments, right? Of connection, of something that's working. And those by design are not structured. They just happen, right? And so for me, looking back, I think where those relationships haven't been like very transactional, but have been more organic and they just seem to have happened and we don't kind of set the thing that, hey, we have to meet on a monthly basis. It's like, hey, I know you're there if I need to. And if I were to just kind of send you a message and say, hey, can we actually just have a quick chat? You know, happy to buy you coffee uh, or virtual coffee these days. Uh, can we just chat? I think for me, those have been much more profound and meaningful. Um, so I, I know I haven't answered your question, but one thing, the tactical thing would be to just keep an eye and look if in, in your LinkedIn feed, if you're using LinkedIn or Twitter, um, to find if there are people who are opening up their office hours. Um, I have had less success when I've actually gone and said, can you be my mentor? I'm looking right. for a mentor. Can you mentor me? Because right. And I think even when someone sends out a message to me like this, I have tended to be less kind of on the positive side. And I said, yes, sure, sign me up as, a, as your mentor. I think, I think it adds a little pressure, maybe. I don't know. Um, I, I don't know. I think for me as well, right? I think, you know, it's like it's a little bit of a pressure versus yeah. if it's like a, just a casual conversation, which we don't know how it's going to evolve, just like any relationship, then I think I'm more open to, and I've also had people way more open to having those conversations without actually calling them mentors or yes. boxing them in this role. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes that makes perfect sense. And I think a lot of that is because right off the bat, if someone's asking you, can you be my mentor? <laughs> as eager as they may be, right away, it goes back to that relationship. And it, it's not so much the give and take, it's they just, it, it may appear that they just want yeah. to take, take, take. And yeah. so that might put up a bit of a, an instant wall. So that's, that is really good, actually, um, advice and hearing, hearing your opinion on that. Even like, you know, when, when, when you reach out to someone, let's say, let's say there's this particular individual, um, and I'll give an example of my yeah. personal, there's this particular individual that I started over a period of years, really kind of admiring for what they do. And I really hoped that I could get some, just like a few minutes, you know, 
every now and then to just kind of learn from them because it's something that I kind of really admire. Um, I was all, I, even though I'm telling you that, you know, we shouldn't kind of go boxing them. I think the first instinct, the natural instinct that came in my mind was I'm going to just ask them to mentor me. It's, I think, very human, human, right? right. Yeah. I refrained from doing that, but I reached out and I kind of, you know, I, I was, I took some time. I took some time to research them a little bit. I took some time to kind of read if they, you know, wrote anything, a lot of people write, right? Like this whole writing has become such, um, you know, like it's, it's become so much more accessible, right? Like people yes. write on Medium, Hacker Noon, LinkedIn, simple posts. And, and I've tried to kind of noodle on that, you know, for some time before I just send them uh, a note, even on LinkedIn message. It's not just enough to just send a personalized message saying, hi, so-and-so. I think I've had, I would highly, highly, highly recommend to your viewers, if you're kind of looking to send out like a cold message to someone, right, yeah. to do a little bit of research and, and find out if there is a particular thing that they might have attended, talked about, written about that particularly resonated with you and what about it resonated with you. And if you can even in a one line or two line kind of say that, mm -hmm. It, 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 it helps build that bridge, right? Definitely. And be very specific about what is it your ask. A lot of times I see like this lengthy kind of a message with a resume and this and that. And I'm like, what is it that you're asking me? Like, are you asking me to read your resume? Are you asking <laughs> me to go over your LinkedIn profile? Like, what is your ask? Right. Like you ha I think there is that very subtle balance between not coming as too much taking, taking, but also being very specific about your ask. Yes, yes. So Definitely. hopefully that helps. Yes, that's that's very, very helpful. Thank you so much for answering that. Um, so I'd love to kind of transition the dialogue into a little bit of your health journey because this is mm. something you shared with me before we started recording. Yes. So you worked in tech for 20 years, in, yes. but in 2019, you found out that your health was struggling. And mm. this is when you decided to quit corporate. And I'd love to know, like when you realized that your health needed attention, um, was it really difficult to leave the work you've been doing for so many years? And can you kind of tell us a little bit about your health journey and what that may have looked like? Yeah, um, it, it, it was, it, it was very difficult. I think looking back, it's not, I think, I, I know this has happened because it's been in my mind for such a long time. There was this big, there were lots of emotions, uh, that were inside of me during that time. Um, so my health, maybe it'll help if I kind of start talking about just at a high level, what were some of the health challenges, right? Yes. Um, so uh, it, it was a culmination of an extreme, extreme, extreme case of burnout that was coupled with quite a bit of anxiety and PTSD um, that went on for, for a few years, uh, pretty much after our son was born. I think that was when the thing started kind of uh, skyballing together into yeah. this big <laughs> bomb that just exploded in 2019 right um, yeah. and I have always I've always believed and told myself that in order to be successful and I'm sure that a lot of people do that but something that I told myself and something that I learned growing up 
you know, coming from a very typical middle-class family in India, my mom still works. I've seen her kind of work really, really hard that without hard work, there is no success, uh, right? Now, yeah. what is that success? Depends for a lot of people. And I, again, naively believed success means that top C-level position. And that might be true for a lot of people, but that is also society's definition of success. Right. Because there is also personal success and professional success. What is success? Um, so we can kind of go into a lot of those things. But for me, you know, in 2014, after our, my son was born, he needed open heart surgeries in order to survive immediately after birth. And so we were in this strange um, period of our lives, both my husband and myself, where it was all about doing things, A, trying to comprehend what was happening, what had happened, living our days and months out of a cardiac ICU, you know, it was, it was crazy, right? It's not, it's not, it's not just a simple hospital. It's, you're like right there with all of the beeping machines and every few minutes that's like going into the emergency kind of a situation, not understanding what was happening. And of course, after you give birth, (laughs) you know, yeah, it was very different compared to what would have typically happened if 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 we didn't need all of those things, right? If we would have just come home, yes, it would be very tiring. Uh, I wouldn't sleep, but I wasn't sleeping anyway. But we also had all of this other things that were going on that was just increasing all of our stress and anxiety level. Nice. But at that point, it wasn't about us. It was all about making sure that our newborn was living and breathing. Now. Why I'm sharing this is we all read about how self-care is important and how when traumatic life events happen, we also need to make sure that we are taking care of ourselves. We also read about the fact that we need to take care about ourselves first before we can expect that or believe that we can actually take care of others who are dependent on us. I mean, these are all things that we read, right? Right. Yeah. But for me, and I'm suspecting this, that for a lot of people, that when traumatic events like this happens, probably our biological innate nature is going to send us in a flight fight mode we don't think about ourselves then you know as a a mom as a parent we are doing everything possible to protect our our, our kid our baby right of course so we lived this life for a few years where we were in this high um, high stress situation just in and out of the hospital countless procedures you know he had three open heart surgeries by the time he was three And just kind of dealing with all of that. And, you know, as he started getting better, I was also, so I had a lot of stress. I I was hearing those machines. I was smelling everything from the cardiac ICU, even after like, you know, two, three years. Um, I just kind of, yeah, for me, everything, I was still back there. Like I hadn't mentally and emotionally, I did not move forward. Right. Right. But I didn't do anything to get help. Uh, again, it was not about me, uh, you know, I, we were just in a different kind of, a, uh, I think different kind of, I don't even know what the word is. I, I don't even think that that was a priority at that point of time. However, as time started moving on and our son was doing well, it, it, I started thinking of returning back to work because for me, work was always the something that helped me keep my my brain 
working (laughs) and it was that intellectual challenge right I'm not saying that being a parent is not intellectually challenging but it's a different kind of a challenge yes yes I was hoping that work would help me uh, maybe divert my 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 all of those thinking and my mind into something that was not keeping on sending me back into the ICU right So rather than getting help, looking back now, rather than getting help, I decided, Mm -hmm. okay, you know, things are kind of good now. I'm going to return back to work. So I returned back to work and I started immersing myself in work. And this is a lot coming from reflection back then. I did not realize it. Mm -hmm. And for me, because I had lost so much of sense of control at the hospital and with everything that was happening with our baby, I ended up becoming this fixer at work. <laughs> I wanted to right. fix everything, even if it was not my job. You know, the, the, so I was the director of product. I was not the CEO. Uh, so not every problem in the company, you know, from HR to people, all of those things should have been my problem. But yeah. I started getting myself more and more involved in trying to fix things. Uh, again, psychologically, I can kind of only explain why I would be doing that, but that is what was happening. What ended up happening over the course of four years was that I completely started becoming hollow to the point in 2019 where I had I hadn't slept for two years, Great. not a single day. Wow. Uh, I had stopped eating. I would get tired just walking a single block, not a hilly block or anything, just plain road. Yeah. I started becoming extremely emotional. So I, would, I had never cried at work. Um, but I would just cry even if I would go to get a coffee and you know how <laughs> in Starbucks they'll typically, they know your name, yeah. Hannah, they know what your choice of coffee and you know, all of those customizations is. <laughs> and they would just kind of say, hey Bosky, how are you doing? I would just kind of get teary eyed. So I reached the situation where I knew something was wrong, but I also did not want to go to the doctor, perhaps. Right trust (laughs) Um, perhaps um, I think for the fear that I would hear something that I didn't want to hear I think you know when the burnout happens um, there is a lot of denial right you don't want to accept it Um, of course you know I didn't want to think I was weak you know I had told myself since I was a kid that I have to be strong and brave and that's how I'm going to get success and uh, I was trying to chase the success and and, 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 and accepting that something could be wrong with me, that I needed to take care of myself or I'm, perhaps I might need to slow down, meant that I would perhaps prove to others that I could not do the job or maybe this was not the time to do the job, whatever. I think for me, it was, it was I, I, I really grappled with accepting that uh, something needed help or something yeah. needed to change. So I think for months I, I did, I was just kind of trying to avoid um, even even thinking about it. And I just went on like a hamster in a wheel and that wasn't helping. Um, yeah, that I could makes feel, sense. right? I could feel my, you know, I could feel from time to time my heart rate was just increasing, yeah. but um, I could feel like, I, I would start to get like all of these hives all over my body, my face yeah. and, um, yeah, and, and so this went on for like a couple of years and okay. uh, I, I didn't do anything. And yeah, it was it was in February of 2019 when my four-year-old son back then, he was obviously seeing how things were happening. And uh, he asked me a simple question. 
but a profound question. Um, you know, he he started writing a few things in his book in school, and I did see that. And he kind of wrote one thing: "I miss my mom," and and all of those things. But then in in February, he asked me, you know, this question, and he said, "Mom, have you started loving me less because I have a scar in my chest?" Um, and I think for me that was the time that made me kind of reflect and stop and think what I was becoming because he had internalized uh, everything that was happening at home and with me and our relationship into something that perhaps he was contributing just because he has all of these scars from his surgeries, right? And that he was responsible and something was wrong with him because of which I was kind of behaving this way. And so that was when I stopped. I still remember I went to Shoppers uh, Drug Mart to get my BP tested. It was way out of whack. And I made an appointment uh, to see my GP and all of my numbers came completely out of whack. Um, And she said she'd never seen these kind of strange, really dangerously high and low numbers in her entire professional career. And so, yeah, she put me on a medical leave for two weeks. And that two week extended to a couple months and I had to do some intense therapy among other things um, to get better. And that's when I really kind of, once I kind of got my bearings, I really started thinking about what was important and what I wanted to do. I still loved, uh, you know, the entrepreneurship side because even when I was working in, in companies, I was still involved in the entrepreneurship side, right? They were all innovating. Yes, um, and that was when I started. I said, no, I'm not returning back to the corporate world. I want to do something on my own and make try to make a bigger impact than I could if I was working in a company. So that that that's what happened in 2019. And that led to my entrepreneurial kind of formal entrepreneurship journey. Wow, Boski, thank you so much for like sharing your story in such depth because I'm sure our whole audience really appreciates that because I think health health journeys and everyone's own personal health can become a somewhat of a personal mm. subject, which which I really appreciate people who are able to open up about it because at the end of the day, we're all going through our own version of our own health journeys and being able to resonate with others yeah. um, who maybe are going through something similar, I think can be make you feel less alone but also hearing kind of your story of coming to the acceptance that you made that leap to go and get tested and get the help that you may have needed is is so important and at the end of the day that's kind of what led you to where what you're doing now today and so thank you so much for sharing that thank you Thank you for Um, listening. Yes, of course, of course. I think that was probably very helpful for so many people. Um, So, so yeah, as I said that, I guess it really did lead you to where you are now. So after you put in a lot of work and did some healing and decided that you were not going to return to corporate, you started your entrepreneurial journey, which is so exciting. And obviously this was a huge lifestyle change from what you were doing before. Did you sort of somewhere in your soul or in your core know that you wanted to start your own venture or was this a completely new path that happened during this health journey it was like okay we're pivoting we're doing a completely <laughs> and a completely new path like how, how did this come to be um I don't think it was entirely then I, I think I yeah <laughs> um I so even when I was I, I built my first kind of a product 
when I was 10 years old. <laughs> so okay, I, okay. I built a library system <laughs> uh, oh, using wow. some arcane software tools. Yeah, okay. um, back when I was 10 years old for the neighborhood. Okay. Then in a couple of years, I built another kind of a software application in school. No, it was not a company, but it was something that was being used. I've always been kind of this builder thing. I wanted to build stuff, whether it was jewelry or whether it was pottery or whether it was painting. Like I just loved making something. Right. Um, and I actually started a very small unknown venture back in, geez, uh, probably what, 2007, eight, nine, sometime around that and ran it for like two years. Um, and it was a, it was an online. So I used to make a lot of jewelry um, and, you know, with, with, with like inspiration from East India, as well as the, the West, right. And kind of, I did that, but then I used to make all of that and I don't wear jewelry. <laughs> the strange thing. I don't even, I don't even wear earrings most of the days, many, yeah, most of the days. And so, but I would, but I would make all of this. And I'm like, what am I going to do? Because it's not like I've got family here that I can just kind of send them every now and then. And so I was like, okay, I need to monetize. And so for me, again, just being in product tech and businesses that were entrepreneurial in nature, yeah. you know, those three questions I would ask always, right? Like, is it something that people would like and why? Is it something that can be monetized and made sustainable? And what kind of a value is there, right? And like, so yeah. these were some, like, so these kind of common questions I would always ask. And so when I had all of these jewelry pieces, like probably about 30 or 40 that I would, that I've made, the storage became a problem because again, I live in Yale town. We don't have massive houses. Yeah. Storing all of this jewelry means I had to kind of trade off that space for something else. I'm like, huh, uh, people like it. Uh, you know, what can I do? And so I created an online kind of store and I sold quite a few pieces. Sold quite a few pieces and made some money. Yes, wasn't exactly equal to how much effort I put in there, but yes. So that was my first foray into doing something and failing miserably. I didn't know anything about marketing, social media, nothing. Right. Um, um, and then, you know, when I was in San Francisco, um, because of our son, uh, I wanted to kind of make sure that I was cooking like extremely nutrient dense food. Um, but something that he wouldn't, even if he didn't eat a lot, it would, it would still be good. So there were lots of like these interesting foods that I would actually hand make, not, not kind of go with the commercial ones. And I actually um, sold a few uh, in like farmer's market and things like that. So I did oh, like these, <laughs> these little things I've done from time to time. Yeah. So I knew I always wanted to do something on my own. Right. That was also something I think growing up in my family, my mom and dad, we kind of talked about it like, hey, wouldn't it be nice to kind of do do our own thing sometime? But but I think, you know, I've, I'm also a very, I have been a risk averse person. And, and after our son, you know, was born and we had mortgages and all, I think our risk averseness as a couple increased yes, because of course yes. you have all of these responsibilities. Of course. Um, I think my health situation and what happened and what I was going through mentally and emotionally, it was a strong enough reason for me not to go back into the grind, if I can call the corporate world a grind. I know that that is not the best word to call it, but that same, right? The same yeah. grind of, you know, 
And I started kind of reading, just trying to find my inspiration in a few different places. And there was this one thing that I read that resonated with me. You know, do you want to work? Um, do you want to give your heart and soul and work really hard so that someone else pay, pays their mortgage? Or do you want to work really hard and give your heart and soul so that you can pay your own mortgage? Right. Um, and it sounds bad to hear that. <laughs> But something about that line made me really think about whether this was the time. So I was really scared because I had a really nice paycheck in my last mm -hmm. role. And for me, I wasn't entirely sure if I wanted to just leave and start something on my own. Um, it had also never happened in my life where I was without a job. So throughout my life, every time when I've changed, I've actually yeah. had a signed offer. Uh, or multiple offers and one signed uh, throughout my career history. So never ever has it been where I've never had something and that probably speaks to the risk of worseness in me. Yes. yes. Um, <laughs> but my husband has been very supportive and he said, you know, now's the time, like try it, you know, like yeah. we, we will be fine. We are going to be good. Uh, give yourself like a little, like a time period and kind of say, you know, explore, right? What is it that right. you want to do? And so I think having that, I said, why not? Let's try to figure it out. And so, yeah, that started my entire thing of finding out, well, how to incorporate, what to do, what does that get started, <laughs> everything. And that's how I fell into. So it was something I always wanted to do. I did yes. not think that it would happen this way, right. but it has happened. Oh yeah. Well, it sounds like from the beginning, whether you realized it or not, you were sort of hardwired for this, everything from building the library at 10 years old to the jewelry venture and so <laughs> forth. So I could see it was uh, naturally meant to play out this way for you. And um, you started not only one, but you've started two ventures mm. that you that you are a part of right now. And Spark to Substance came first Yes. and Spark to Substance solves messy business growth problems. Can yes. you tell us about Spark to Substance and how it came to be? So spark to substance, yes, messy, messy growth and business problems. I mean, all growth and business problems are messy, right? In yes. a sense that it is not, it is not simple. I think hindsight, it becomes simple. Um, so I have been part of a lot of tech, um, either startup or growth stage companies, like companies that are kind of growing or scaling. And I've been part of inside the company trying to solve a lot of those messy problems, right? Where we have no idea. And oftentimes we were just kind of trying to figure out and think about what would work, whether it was about getting the right team or figuring out what kind of skills we need or how do we operationalize? How do we grow? How do we expand? How can we, uh, how can we build a profitable business? Uh, how do you operationalize a certain thing that we've been kind of manually doing or, you know, how do you, kind of IPO or how do you, you know, have an exit and merge, you know, have a merger and acquisition. I mean, these were all problems that I was exposed, thankfully, in my professional life. And, and as I was trying to think about what I wanted to do, I loved this work. <clears throat> it was just that I, 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 I don't know if there was this fear after my health thing of whether I would end up back uh, in, into that same thing. I still fear right. from time to time, you know, even, even yes. now um, that I, I don't want to end up in that situation because uh, it, 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 it was very, very scary. It is very, very scary what was happening to me. Um, and so for me, I think 
I kind of really questioned, like, should I again join a high growth stage company and try to solve these problems within the, within the organizational constraints, within the political constraints, not in a bad way, but there is politics everywhere, right? Of course, yes. um, you know, like one of my mentors told me uh, many, many, many years ago, you know, uh, it's, it's not politics, it's just stakeholder management. Um, so, so it's not really a bad thing. Um, and, or whether I would actually try to be someone from outside coming in with an outside perspective trying to help. What I started finding as I was researching about what I wanted to do mm-hmm. was within, the, within these tech companies, within where innovation was happening, within where new products were getting built, tech products were getting built, a lot of startups and a lot of early stage or growth stage companies did not have an executive, full-time executive within product and growth function, even now. Uh, you know, uh, either it sat within the CEO or someone, or multiple people were kind of bringing that perspective or that perspective was just plainly missing. And as more companies were trying to become product-led and growth-led versus sales, typically sales and marketing-led, there was this gap. and. Uh, and I was like, okay, so I'm going to basically see if I can fill the role of a very hands-on advisor coming in, helping operationalize and set everything up, whether it is hiring a team, building a team, um, you know, operationalizing how product management should be done and all of those things with the intent of firing myself once that team is ready and operational. Does that make sense? Yes, yes um, definitely. So that is that is what I started doing, and of course, the, you know, there were some really interesting initiatives uh, that that I got involved with. Whether it was with a non for profit where I helped them over a series of eight weeks to think about how they can monetize a certain offering that they had for in a non profit context, or whether it was a really early stage startup where they were having kind of quite a few dysfunctions in their team to figure mm-hmm. out what exactly were some of the challenges with recommendations or whether it was working as a as an interim chief product officer and then trying to help some of those problems. So that is what sparked the substances, you know, whether it is strategic workshops, whether it is strategic planning, whether it is coming in helping you with uh, either a stalled growth or, or, or your product development in the tech world not happening in, in perfectly. Um, and you need, you need this external uh, person to come in and, and work with you and, and help you figure it out because they might be able to see things that perhaps you internally, you know, you're, we're not able to see it, right? Just because we're so much muddled with, with everything. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes perfect sense. So very, very cool. Um, yeah. I also know that you guys, or Spark to Substance offers coaching programs. And I saw Mm -hmm. one of them is recovering from burnout through a coaching (laughs) program. Do you, I'm just curious from your perspective in the entrepreneurial world, do you see burnout becoming more common or what what is your take on that? Um, There are more stories of burnout, uh, definitely. I, I don't know whether medically, uh, whether there is more burnout today or whether the fact people are speaking up more or we are just becoming aware that we can start recognizing this. I mean, I'm I'm sure that the current context of how our work and our life is moving, yes, there are more chances that we're going to be uh, burnt out. There is pandemic burnt out. There's parental burnout. There is professional corporate burnout. There's all kinds of different kinds of burnout. Um, I think, you know, as I was in my healing journey um, after, in 2019, I decided to do something that was totally 
out of my comfort zone uh, and my risk averse nature, I actually wrote and I published my 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 journey and my feelings and my fears and and all of that actually on oh, LinkedIn. Amazing. And, uh, and, and I did that for a couple of reasons. Um, one was I felt completely alone trying to even talk when I, what I was going through. I, I didn't know what to call it. And even though I kind of felt that perhaps it was that I, I did not want to accept I, you know, anything that I was reading, a lot of it was around entrepreneurial burnout, right? right. The, the burnout for founders. And I was like, I'm not a founder. Yeah. So how can that be for me? Um, you know, yes, I started reading about parental burnout, but I was like, well, how can I have a parental burnout? Like I'm a parent, right? Like I have to do everything. Yeah. I have to think about my child before I think about myself. Like <laughs> there's, this is like morally something that was ingrained in me. So I, I didn't have resources. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and, and so for me, one was a catharsis just to kind of let it out of my system just so that I could kind of get over the feeling of maybe, you know, the shame and the guilt and all of that, that I was feeling. But the other thing was that I also wanted to start making this normal for everyone so that we would actually hear more about it. And perhaps maybe I would actually find a collaborator with whom I could actually work to maybe find ways to solve it. It was a very big undertaking. So I wrote that article. And uh, within, I would say, 24 hours, I received like close to 500 people reaching out to me on LinkedIn from all over the world talking oh, about wow. their own journeys of burnout. Mm-hmm. Not once, but three times, five times uh, mm-hmm. the same person. And, yeah. so, and so I had like enough data and it was 800 and I think probably like 70 two or some other people over the course of like the next few weeks who kind of got back to me with some of some of their personal stories. I kind of, you know, started feeling very strongly that as as leaders, as as companies, we need to, I, I think, make burnout or mental health or overall health as not just as a lip service where we have mental health days, but actually bring that into our practices of working and interacting with each other. So without, without like, so it's not as like, hey, are you kind of heading towards burnout? Like that is not a question <laughs> to ask, but how can you have these conversations? How as an employee, how can you have conversations either with your team or with your manager? Just as an example, if you need a space, if you need some space, or with, or you know, how how can you think about a promotion that is being offered to you? But let's say you're not in that right mental space and emotional space to be accepting it. How can you be given tools to objectively decide if this is the right move for you and for the company also, and for you to feel comfortable that if you do decide to decline, that you will not be also, uh, you know, not considered for future promotions. As a company, what can you do besides giving everyone a mental health day, really making this part of your language? How can you kind of do a lot of these things where you are, I think, having much more resources for ensuring that the overall well-being of your team 
is, 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 is a high priority. And so as I was talking with a lot of leaders and managers and, and people, you know, for, for coaching, it wasn't burnout coaching, but it was career coaching. It was navigating, um, navigating promotions. It was navigating uh, salary. It was navigating uh, leadership coaching and all of leadership uh, challenges. There were often these conversations about stress and chronic stress that was coming up without us using the word of label. And so, yes, right. in, in Spark to Substance, there's one thing that I have started doing. Not It's not a big part of what I do because, again, <laughs> you know, yeah, yes, it is not a big part because, again, burnout and mental health has not become a mainstream thing right now. Yeah. But I, I do I do work with either organizations or teams to start thinking about how are you going to be designing um, overall health and well-being of your employees um, so that you can actually have a very productive and a happy team, right? Right. So yeah, that's, that's what I do. So it can be at an individual level. It can be at a team level. It could be certain workshops I've done. I've done, I've actually collaborated with one of my friends and I did a reboot workshop uh, before Christmas of last year not last year, 2019 again, last year was a blur, um, where we kind of helped people in, in a course of two hour workshop to kind of see how can they think about their life, career, profession, how can you make decisions and, and what, what, what can you, how can you reframe a lot of the burnout um, symptoms and things like that? Does that help? Yes, yes, definitely. That's, it's, I love talking about this because I think, the world kind of needs more people like you who are obviously a leader in this sort of movement and being able to help sort of help these other leaders design their workplace and design their work culture all around realizing the importance of well-being of their employees and having that ingrained into the culture is sort of step number one in my opinion so it's amazing yeah. to hear that that is still uh, obviously not a huge part of spark to substance but it's still there and just bringing awareness to the yeah. topic at any yeah. scale yeah. is is so important. So, so very, very cool to hear um, about what you're doing in that sense. Um, thank you for sharing that. Thank you. Um, so on top of Spark to Substance, <laughs> you also have PM Dojo, which is your newest <laughs> venture, yes. which um, is has the mission to remove barriers and overwhelm for those looking to pivot their career into the tech space. So I'm so fascinated to learn more about this. Um, what motivated you to start this? What motivated me? Um, <laughs> me being part of the tech world and just constantly hearing and also things that I told myself, um, you know, at times when perhaps about this whole thing of inclusivity, diversity, accessibility, challenges that we have in tech. Um, you know, and I've told myself, you know, like, oh, um, you know, our, our, like even during COVID, when, when I still remember March 17th, all of the schools shut and our son was suddenly home the whole day. We didn't have childcare. I was like, well, should I just leave? Because now that we have, and for me, you know, that kind of a decision where we're having to make a compromise or the fact that I was beginning to question or think that perhaps it's time for me to move out of tech and I need to find something else that is less demanding where I can still do and maybe earn a living whatever I was earning wasn't yeah. what I was earning before when right. I was working full-time 
or the, you know, the stories that I was hearing from people, like things like, um, I don't love video games, you know, can I still have a career in tech? <laughs> or um, I have been a blue collar, um, you know, like I've always worked and I've been a blue collar worker. Would I have a career in tech? Um, I, I don't have a, a tech background. I'm not a developer. Am I still a person in tech? Um, I haven't gone to this top tier school. Can I get a career in tech? I mean, these were a lot of the things that I've heard from time to time to time. And this is beyond, you know, gender and race issue. This is, uh, this is, um, this is more about, I think, just our, our mindsets and the belief systems that exist in our society that people in tech need to follow these certain stereotypes, right? Right. Um, and for me, that was not something that sat well with me. And, and even when I was coaching and working with different tech companies as Spark to Substance, I was seeing these discussions come again and again and again. And so as time moved on, I wanted to do something about it. And that was how PM Dojo was born. It was born to help make learning. And for me, when I talk about accessibility, it's, it's not free. For me, accessibility exists when people are even aware of what options and opportunities are there. If they don't even, if they're not even aware of those opportunities, then we will never have accessibility in tech, if, if that kind of makes sense. Yes. Yes. So as I started thinking about this, it really became about creating awareness, right? And how can I create awareness so that there is access to opportunities in tech? And it should not just be for these certain groups of people who kind of have these attributes that they are these, they follow all the check, checkpoints for these stereotypes in tech. Um, and, and of course, if I started thinking about the problem, it was a huge problem. I'm like, what part of tech am I going to solve it? What kind of tech companies? You know, is it just tech companies or is it STEM? Is it education? Where does it start? Does it start like in preschool? Is, does it start <laughs> as I'm having conversations with my son that boys are not cool? Or as he would say, <laughs> girls are not cool, boys are cool. Like, does it start there? Or does it start in the fact when my son would come and say, oh, you know, boys win because we are like three boys in this house because our dog is also a male and we only have one girl in this house and you can't run and you don't play you don't swim I mean these are all the things I can't do and for him to think that I was the stereotype for all women or all girls like where does this start where does this end right so again in a very typical product management or a founder entrepreneurial kind of a mindset. I wanted to tackle this problem and I wanted to figure out this one smallest piece that I could try with. And I had, you know, remained in this world of building products and managing products and managing product teams. And I said, I'm going to start with product management. And so from PM Dojo, from that big vision, I started kind of trying to tinker and solve the product management space, because again, mm -hmm. a lot of people don't apply for PM roles if they don't come from a top tier background or they pay thousands and thousands of money doing a course and they learn theory and they're looking to get their first gig as a PM and they kind of struggle because hiring managers are looking for practical experience, which they don't have. Mm -hmm. um, and so I was like, fine, why, why don't I try to solve this or designers, right? Like you spent you know all this money in boot camps and I'm not saying I'm, I'm really thankful that they exist because back when I started there was nothing but there is a problem in how learning <laughs> is imparted today yeah. um, 
and this whole learning industry is changing or needs to change drastically. Yeah, definitely. Um, and so, and so, yeah, I started PM Dojo's first offering, and that was the Accelerator, um, which is like an under, uh, which is like an apprenticeship style learning. So participants come in um, and they um, they go through ten weeks and they solve a real problem in the market that exists. They work as a team, and so we try to mimic just like how it would exist in the real world in a tech company. And yeah. you get personalized mentorship and you work with cross-functional stakeholders. And in 10 weeks, you actually solve that problem in the market and you launch a product. Um, and you have tons of like soft skills and all of that that you learn. So it's not just theory and you don't have to be a developer to, to actually launch your product. But by the time you actually finish your 10 week program, a lot of it is again, focused on building relationships. So what I was talking to you earlier um, and how can you move past those transactional mentorship and really build those long lasting uh, relationships where you where you have this environment within PM Dojo to actually make those connections happen, um, and by the time you uh, apply for a role, you can actually speak from your direct experience. So it teaches you how to learn, think, and solve problems like a product manager. Um, we also have mental health workshops, so that is an important part. Uh, it's a very stressful role in tech, and I want to make sure that these future product managers uh, are aware that stress needs to be managed and being a workaholic is not a badge of honor, which a lot of us think, I certainly think, and so do a lot of people. And so kind of bringing a lot of these things that have kind of defined me for 20 years into an accelerator program for aspiring and new product managers. Wow. Okay. Amazing. I will definitely have all the information um, at the end of the episode, like linked in the show notes. So awesome. for anyone who's interested in looking further into PM Dojo, it's they can yeah. uh, click right through. Awesome. I mean, it's been really gratifying to see some of the top tech companies kind of collaborating with us uh, to be helping making uh, learning, you know, accessible because you don't have to spend four or five thousand dollars to learn uh, theory. You're actually spending fraction of that money cost or, or that fees to kind of get through this. And, and we've had like quite a few success stories of job transitions uh, already. Oh, that's so amazing. That must be so fulfilling for you to watch these from absolutely people come in absolutely. from the beginning and see see how they leave at the end. Yes. So that's very, very exciting. Um, what do you think is like the biggest change in your lifestyle from when you left the corporate world and now you've got these two <laughs> ventures? And it can be anything, like in terms of the relationships lifestyle. in your life, in you terms think. of daily routines, the the meaning mm. you have behind your work, like what is the biggest shift in your life, do you think, from these two different lifestyles? Per, uh, perception um, is one that has enabled quite a few changes in, in, in my life and I think in our life as a family right now. Uh, perception of not defining myself as my role uh, before I used to always define, I'm bossy episode, so right um, yeah. and now I don't define myself like that I even now I don't define like hey I'm Bosky and I'm the founder of PM Dojo and Spark to Substance you know right. I'm gonna typically start with Bosky and my mom yeah, <laughs> yeah. and I've kind of messed up tons like usually it still depend from you know situation to situation but yeah of course I think I think I think I think, I think just understanding who I am and uh, being okay with not earning 
all that money that I was. Uh, I, 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 I don't, I don't think that I've fully, um, I think become comfortable with that though. If, if right. I can be truly honest, I think there are right. still days and times when I'm really exhausted and let's say where, you know, it's been a challenging and a hard day, particularly, um, I, I wouldn't think about like, oh my God, like that was good, right? Like to see, see that paycheck coming every two right. weeks. <laughs> um, so I think I think that I don't think I fully kind of accepted that, but perception for me has been a big change, and 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 that has led to me kind of agreeing and 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 and, and or not even agreeing, um, kind of thinking through of the kind of work I or the kind of projects that I will be working on. So before I would just kind of get into the bandwagon and just accept. And I didn't have any choice because I was working within a context of an organization. Now I kind of ask myself like, okay, if I say yes to this, it means that my weekend will go away. And uh, if my weekend goes away, uh, yes, I still work on the weekends from you know time to time, but it's not like full weekend, right? Like uh, right. I, I do need to make the time for, for, for my family. Um, the, I, I think from like the biggest change is just, I think, I don't think I'm answering your question correctly or the best way would be listening to my body a little bit more yeah. um, and well, not huge. just, not just kind of going on and on and on. Of course. Knowing that or being a little bit more comfortable with the fact that this thing can fail, right? Like, but um, I am exploring and I'm trying to do my best and I might, you know, need to, I think, figure out if how I might actually still make it work or being a little bit more comfortable asking for help from people. I, I, I don't think that I used to ask enough before. Um, mm -hmm. I wanted to do it all because I wanted to prove uh, perhaps to myself or to others that I could do it all. Um, I think being much more uh, comfortable speaking about my failures and all of the mess ups that I have done. Um, I think I've, been, I've become way more comfortable speaking about that to people and I open up in all kinds of strange situations, uh, not just like any random stranger, but um, <laughs> um, but I think, as, I think as being an introvert, I don't think I would have been able to share my story or even written about it on LinkedIn uh, had it been oh. before, right? Um, what else? Um, yeah, uh, it has helped me reframe a lot of things in life uh, within the last, I would say, a year, year and a half. So being like right now, you know, we hear a lot about imposter syndrome and this and that. And yes, I am. Yeah, I mean, I'm not an overly confident person. I like to kind of think and noodle through things quite a bit before, you know, I, I kind of decide whether this is the right thing to do and sometimes I might just kind of be a little bit more like let's just try it out but for yeah. most part I am uh, but I also kind of try to reframe a lot of things like you know what is imposter syndrome is it really something that we have to get rid of because that's what every single almost every single article that comes in my feed tells me right. about right but uh, I also firmly believe that imposter syndrome is just natural, right? It is just that feeling of uneasiness or our lack of confidence or the fact that we're not sure that there is something new going on and we haven't figured it out. Isn't that something really natural and human? 
why should yes. we try to kind of remove it and stop it from happening? Because it is that one thing that helps us uh, from not becoming this jerk, right? This cocky yes. person. Yes. So it's just, I think it's that reframing, you know, it's reframing resilience. It's reframing all of these society definitions that are there. You know, we have to be resilient. We have to be resilient or we have to be successful all the time. Or, you know, um, as a mom, I have to have everything under control uh, and I cannot cry in front of my, my child. I, I think I've kind of reframed a lot of those things and I'm like, you know what, I've had a bad day. <laughs> I think I can cry, you know, yes, yes. does that, does that help? Oh my gosh, that is so, so helpful. I love what you said about imposter syndrome too, because I feel like someone puts out an opinion on something and then the rest of the world, it seems like grasps onto that one, one opinion and kind of repopulates their own version of the story. And then it seems like the whole world has one opinion on it. And I, I love what you're saying about reframing it and like embracing it because anytime you're doing anything new, someone's gonna have some version of that imposter syndrome or imposter yeah. syndrome or something along those lines. So yeah, thank you for bringing up that point. And yeah, all of these, all of these sort of changes from everything from reframing a lot of things in your life to your perception and feeling comfortable with failure, becoming more aware of your body and being comfortable sharing your story with, with others. Those sound like all very positive changes. So that's very exciting. Thank <laughs> um, you. Thank, yeah, thank you for sharing those. Um, and I'm looking at the time and I feel like <laughs> I could ask you a million more questions <laughs> about both of these ventures, but um, I'm gonna ask you a couple of questions um, yes. kind of in the realm of business advice for our listeners, for people who are looking to start their own ventures. I'm gonna ask you a couple of questions in that area before we wrap up. And um, yeah. of course, a lot of people who are listening have the goal of starting their own entrepreneurial journey, yeah. journey on some scale. So you you did actually touch a lot earlier on when you were talking about PM Dojo about some self-doubt and self-limiting beliefs. Mm -hmm. What do you think is sort of a tactic that someone can work on to, to get over that? Or as we were just saying, embrace it. Like what what do you think um, is a good execution of sort of dealing with self self-doubt? Self-doubt. Um, that little nagging voice, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, I think I think we should listen to it uh, because, again, I think for me, if if at least for me, if if I don't listen to it, I I, I might actually become that that jerk, and for me, that is a very <laughs> scary place to be. I I don't want to become that person. Uh, um, I, I think we need to listen listen to it or be open to listening to it, but also. I think it's about trying, right? So I think when we think about, let's say, starting our own, it seems like a very daunting, right? Like for me, even to think about sole proprietorship versus an LLC versus whatever, like to just yeah. figure that out and getting the business, like I didn't even know where to start, right? So right. I think when we think about starting our own business, uh, it's, it, is, it is a very big endeavor. So finding ways to decompose it, <laughs> I think is the first thing, because if we don't decompose, then we're gonna be this just fearful of this big ambiguous thing that we have no idea. And we can talk all we want with all the different people who have perhaps done it. And if you can take inspiration and get tactical tips from them, great. 
if if we are someone who's just going to feel like we are not good enough and that imposter syndrome the so-called imposter syndrome will just make it worse then i would say you know balance out how much you want to just listen to other people who've done it right so for me the first tactical step would be to decompose all of those pieces that we think might be needed in order to start that venture but before that the first thing is you know what are you going to do and what is the problem that you're trying to solve right so it's really like at the end of the day uh, and uh, any any side hustle of business and entrepreneurial you know your venture is not going to be sustainable if it solves your problem or if it solves a problem just for your friends and family it needs to be a bigger problem that exists in the market right yeah um does that make sense, Francesca? Yeah, yes, it makes perfect sense. Yeah. So I think, you know, as 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 someone who's interested in getting into it, A, decompose into yeah. smaller steps so that you can figure out which step you can actually do and at least get a few check marks. That, that'll make you feel good. The second thing is definitely whatever idea you have, don't just do it because A, everyone else is doing or you really like it and it's your passion and you it's it's your idea right you you are passionate about that particular yes. idea to solve you need to make sure that you validated it enough uh, before you've even spent your money on uh, on a website on any of these things there are lots of easy ways to validate and test all of those hypotheses that you have in a short period of time to figure out how big is the problem for whom is the problem um, and 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 what would be some of the smallest number of tests that you could do to validate the demand if people are going to pay uh, you know psychology is is kind of strange human behavior is very strange if people tell you during user testing of course i would love this when you actually launch you might find that no one actually uses it that's like the countless stories like that so really finding all of those ways to test those basic assumptions is super, super key. And then just trying to be really creative about finding out how you might actually solve because there is never just one way. So decompose, test and validate like crazy to figure out and make sure you're not falling into the trap of solving your own problem. Uh, you can definitely do that, but I don't think you need to create a business for just solving your own problem. <laughs> and the third would be, uh, you know, kind of really trying to find create, like really be creative and open and be open to speaking to different people, making sure again, that you're careful about how much you let out because I've had quite a few instances where I've shared and, and some people have kind of copied and launched right. their own versions. Right. So you have to be kind of careful about those things. Does, does that does that help? Yes, that's so helpful. I think that would be so helpful, helpful for anyone listening. I hope the listeners wrote that down. And if you didn't, zoom back two minutes and rewrite down some of that advice because that is that is very valuable. Um, my oh, last... Talk to me. This yes. is what I do. <laughs> <laughs> my last question for you is for someone who wants to break into the tech space and get their foot in the door. And maybe this is someone whose dream is Silicon Valley, or maybe this person just finished university, whether they're coming from a business degree, a computer science degree, or any other background. What do you think step number one looks like to gaining some experience into getting their foot in the door, or getting into the tech world? Step one, so tech is a very large field, and there are tons of different roles in it. Um, so step one would be at least try to figure out 
roughly what areas in tech you might be interested in, right? So not everyone who, let's say, does computer science degree would necessarily want to become a developer. I, I did not want to become a developer. I've seen a lot of people who don't want to. So don't just go right. into the default kind of career trajectory, right. but really kind of think through, um, you know, those there are tons of different roles. And so is it success? Is it marketing? Is it growth marketing? Is it design? Is it product management? Is it project management? Is it partnership? Is it, what is it, right? Like at least try to kind of do some reflection on, what is a particular role that would that that you would gravitate towards right within tech whether it's yeah. development or non-development that would be step number one but very closely related with step number one is also to reflect on what kind of an environment you might actually um, thrive in terms of learning right because right. not all learning opportunities are same and then and then again very closely related to that so I think it's like one a one b one c would be uh, you know, try to reach out to people. Like what is yes. the worst thing that can happen? So if you do LinkedIn, if you use LinkedIn, there are lots of like really smart filters to use to search people within that particular field, subfield, place, uh, people who are hiring and starting to kind of reach out with some of the things that we talked about earlier about writing a personalized message and kind of really doing some research, like at least try to figure out subset of people that you want to reach. And every time you talk to someone, if you are able to reach out, ask who they would recommend for you to talk to, right? So it becomes yes. like this big network um, and if you have, and if you have actually made your decision that you want to get into product or tech, and you know, I would really encourage you to join PM Dojo. Uh, that would be like one way because you do have mentors and you have industry leaders from Silicon Valley, all part of PM Dojo community. So you can do all of that on yourself. You can go and join PM Dojo as well. Yes, no pressure. Yes, of course, <laughs> it's all linked below. Everyone, go check them out. Most definitely. Um, okay, amazing. Um, I am wow, like everything that you had to share today was just absolutely amazing. I am so like blown out of the water with um, all the value that you provided today. Thank you so, so, so much for sharing your story and being so vulnerable with all of us. It's honestly very, very inspiring to hear you open up about your journey and everything you've gone through and where you've Thank got you, to what you're doing today. I love talking to you. Thank you. Uh, Thank me you. As well. If there's anything I can do to help and support you, let me know. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, to, as a very last note for anyone who does want to connect with you, of course, I'm going to have all the links to your websites down below, but how can someone find you um, through LinkedIn or your website uh, or Instagram? What's the best way for someone to connect with you? Um, LinkedIn would be the best, uh, but please do put in a message, not just a random request connection, but yeah, if you can please put a message, that would be awesome. Or PM Dojo website would be awesome. You can contact me from there. Okay, amazing. I'll have that all linked down below. Thank you once again. Um, I hope we can connect again soon. Bye.